Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open to Job chapter 2. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 9.12, For a man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Now, if you recall, the last time we were together, we saw exactly that situation take place in Job's life. We we saw suddenly, in one day, evil came into his life. Calamity came upon Job and his family. He didn't know it was going to happen. It was a complete surprise. And his wealth and his position in society couldn't prevent it. And something else that couldn't prevent it was his relationship with God. And I think we all need to remember that when we question why some things come into our lives, calamity, disaster, um, trials, and we wonder, well, God, I, I, I love you. I've committed my life to you. Why am I experiencing these things? And we know that tragedy can strike any person, even if we have a relationship with the Lord. And sometimes, and we'll see as we go through this book, sometimes... God has a purpose in those things in our life. Nothing is done outside of his allowable will for his children. And so we need to always remember that. Tragedy can strike without warning. Most of the time it does. And we need to be spiritually prepared or else we'll have a lot of difficulty handling it when it does come. And unlike Job, we have the entirety of the Scriptures at our disposal. We see the full promises of God unfolded to us. We have the full revelation of God's plan and purpose for man and His desire for those who submit and commit their lives to Him. So when we see Job in how he responds and reacts, we see kind of mixed reaction to his circumstances. And remember, he does not have a full picture of God as we do. We have the entirety of the Scriptures. This may be the very first, chronologically speaking, the very first book ever written of the Scriptures. He had nothing really to refer to except his relationship with God. 
So we can understand a little bit when we see Job's mixed reaction to some of the things that he experienced because he didn't, he doesn't really have, uh, he didn't have all the information that we do about God. And we're blessed because of that. We can face these things. We can go through our life, good, bad, uh, whatever comes into our lives, we can go through it knowing, having a better understanding of who God is than Job. So we're going to jump in because we're going to try to get through chapters 2 and 3 tonight. And in verse, uh, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, and it may sound familiar, but it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? Now this is pretty much word for word what we read in chapter 1. So this is a second, this is kind of part two of this heavenly scene. But notice God adds something to this dialogue that he's having with Satan. And he says, And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. See, Satan not only incites us or influences us to sin and to turn away from God, he tries to incite God against us also. He works at us from both sides. The last time we were together in chapter 1, we kind of looked at this unveiling of the heavenly battle or the heavenly dialogue that takes place. And this is something that's done every single day for the heart, the soul, the mind of each and every person in this world because Satan ultimately wants to take us down. We see Satan and his helpers again accessing God. And sometimes when we don't think too much about this, we may consider, well, Satan's abode is in hell and that's where he is with his minions and all of his helpers. But... That's not really what the Bible teaches. His residence isn't in hell. He's the ruler of this world. And he's prowling throughout this earth looking for people to take down. But remember, too, he also has access to God in the heavenlies. And so we see this unveiling again of this scene. And we see God mentioning Job to Satan, and I, I still struggle a little bit with that, to be honest with you. I still struggle a little bit with that. Couldn't God just say to himself maybe, well, Satan really did a job on this guy the last time. I'm going to maybe point him in another direction. And, but that's not what happened. See, God knows the end from the beginning. We always have to think of, 
When we read things in the scriptures, we read them as, you know, as they're recorded. But God knows all of human history from the end, uh, from the end to the beginning. And he also knows each of our circumstances and situations. So, we, so questioning God, although it's, it's kind of easy to do in this case, can't you leave Job alone? But he has a plan. He has a plan. In, in Job one twenty two, we see this again. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. See, Satan's plan is to attack us until we sin, right? To trip us up until we sin or to attack us until we blame God or charge God with wrong. That's his strategy, to, to get in the middle of that relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. And when we sin, we're separated from God. And when we blame God, we don't understand. There's a disconnect there. But notice again, God says, and he still holds fast in, in, in verse 3, still holds fast to his integrity, his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. God's description of Job, continued strengthening of his character. God's description, God's opinion of Job. Isn't that what's most, most important? What God's opinion of us is. And when the enemy is attacking us, we may, be get, we may get tempted to forget our integrity. We may get tempted to go against God or to do some things as, this, as the enemy of our soul is tempting us. But Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he may be rich. See, our integrity is important. It's what people, it's, how, it's really mostly how people judge us. By our character. By our integrity. And that's very easy for us to, uh, to put a black mark on our integrity. It's very difficult to get it back. So, but Job didn't do that. Job didn't do that. In verses 4 and 5, it goes on, So Satan answered the Lord, and we still see this heavenly dialogue back and forth. So, so Satan answered the Lord, and, and, he, and he said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Another challenge. Another challenge here that Satan puts forth. Listen, I understand. I, I get it. I took away his family. I took away his livelihood. But if, but if I'm allowed to strike his physical being, that'll be the last straw. That'll be the last straw. See, Satan realizes that ultimately man will do almost anything to save his own life. He's using man's tendency for self-preservation here in order to trip Job up. He's basically saying to God, everyone has his price. Everyone has his price. 
He didn't curse you because your attack really wasn't against him personally. It was only against his family and his wealth and his prosperity and his property. The attack wasn't close enough to get him to turn from you. And it's something for us to consider. Do we have a price? Do we have a price by which we will turn from God? When the, when the heat gets too hot for us, when the trials are too difficult, when the decisions are not what we want, is, it, is that our price? Is that how we will turn from God? Something to consider. It may be great suffering that will do it. It might be great temptation in our lives that will do it. But remember what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. If you think you're going through something and you're the only one, that's not true. It's common to all men. But God is faithful. Amen to that. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Very carefully written words here that Paul writes in these verses. He does not say that God will never give us more than we can handle. He says that He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And he may, a temptation could be a test, could be a trial also. He will give us a way of escape. And does that mean that the trial will get taken away? Not necessarily. He may give us a way to bear it. To stay strong within that trial. So, we go on and we see this, this uh, last affliction that comes upon Job. And in verses 6 through 8, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd which, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. We're going to get more details throughout this entire book on exactly what he was afflicted with here. And it doesn't really do it justice in, this, in these couple of verses. But I'll just give you a couple of examples as we, as we just think about this affliction, this physical affliction. In Job chapter 2, we, we get to see painful sores that he had to deal with, intense itching, haggard looks. Remember, his friends didn't even recognize him. When we get to that point, his friends don't even recognize him. And then we see in, verse, in chapter 7, depression, sleeplessness, Nightmares. When he finally does go to sleep, now he has nightmares. He has failing vision in chapter 16. It talks about him weeping, just full of tears. 
It says in chapter 19 that he has bad breath. It says his breath is offensive to his, his wife. All of these physical things come with this affliction. Difficulty breathing, scrawniness. He was thin. He was wasting away. Chapter 30 speaks about his extreme pain, the peeling and drying skin of this affliction. He had a fever. So the, the painful boils that we, that we see here in this one verse doesn't really do it justice to understand all of the things that he's going through here. And then he gets this great counsel from the closest person to him. And I know when we're going through things, we seek out people, or if, if God puts it on their heart, then they know we're going through something. They come to us and they want to bring us comfort and and consolation, and they want to try to make us feel better. And so in verses 9 and 10, if you read, read with me, we, get, we see this, this awesome thing that happens. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now wait a minute. That's not such great counsel, is it? That's really not such... Actually, that's exactly what Satan wanted him to do. Curse God. He said... Didn't he say to God, if you allow me to afflict him, he he will curse you to your face? So his wife is here almost speaking the same words that Satan spoke. But again, Job holds fast. He says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And then in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Praise the Lord. For you married couples out there, when, when you get some really bad counsel, and sometimes it happens from, when, in frustration in the relationship, our response is our responsibility, we learned in a three strands class several years ago. Job did not respond in kind to his wife when she gave him, when she told him that. He just, he didn't sin with his lips. He didn't go back at her in that way. He retained his integrity, even though his suffering was more than probably most of us could bear. Integrity is tested through fire. It's been said that a Christian is like a tea bag. You never know what they're made of until they're dipped in hot water. And that's what our life is like sometimes. One after another. But, you know, that's that's not our entire life. We always have to remember that. Sometimes those are the things that we remember most, is the difficulties and the trials. But we always have to remember the blessings. And we have to remember this as Job goes forward in this book, that he was blessed beyond belief. Remember, it spoke about him as one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, certainly one of the most righteous men who ever lived. He had an abundant family, had a great family. All this wealth and all this property, he was blessed. So I think we also need to remember that there are, there are going to be crummy things that come into our lives. 
But that's not the entirety of our existence in this, in this world. In verses 11 through 13, now we start to see some of kind of the introduction to the next several chapters in the book. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans twelve fifteen that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to mourn or weep with those who weep. And that's exactly what Job's friends were doing. You know, it's the responsibility of the local body of Christ to come alongside our brothers and sisters when they're struggling or suffering. Job had some really good friends here. They heard of his suffering and they wanted to bring consolation and comfort to Job. Now we're going to see, just like Job's wife, that in the next several chapters, some of their counsel is not the greatest. And some of their counsel doesn't really bring him comfort. But let's not forget of their initial heart of compassion that they had for Job. Because we can easily overlook that as we get into this dialogue that they're going to have with him going forward. But initially, they had a great heart for Job. They wanted to come, come to him. They wanted to mourn with him and comfort him. But there's three things, I think, that they did that we can learn from and that we can take um, an example as we come across people in our lives that are struggling with something. And first, first, they just they came to him, right? They came to him. They put aside whatever was going on in their lives. They put their needs second to Job's needs of just a friendly face coming to him in his time of need. Sometimes the greatest comfort that we can bring people is just our willingness to be there. Our willingness to let them know that we're available. I'll I'll set aside whatever I need to, to be with you. Sometimes that's such great comfort to somebody. Because, you know, we, we go through this life and we understand how busy and how distracted and how many things everybody's got going on in their lives. And for someone to say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set that aside. I'm going to be with you because you're going through a difficult time. That's, that's really an awesome thing. So I think that's a great thing that they did. Second thing that they did, they empathized. They empathized with Job. They mourned with Job. They didn't just sit and watch him mourn. They mourned with him. Now, of course, they weren't going through what he was going through, but they could empathize 
with Job. And they, and they let him know that. They lifted their voices with Job. They tore their clothes in a sign of grief. They joined with him in his mourning. And again, that's something that we can take a, a lesson from as people that we know will go through difficulty. And then third, they kept him company. They stayed there. They just, they just stayed with him. And sometimes just our company, just our presence is enough to bring comfort to people. And a lot of times we don't know what to say, right? When somebody's going through a really difficult thing, we don't, we don't really know the words to say to bring comfort to someone. But sometimes just our presence is all they really need. And I, and I love the fact that they didn't say anything to him for seven days and seven nights. Whether they didn't know what to say or whether that was the wisest counsel that they could give him. Because as we go forward and see, as soon as they start opening their mouths, it's not so great. But they stayed with him and they remained silent for seven days and seven nights. Do you ever think when you go into somebody, maybe you go into a funeral or you go going to be with somebody who just had a great loss and you're just going through your mind, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to bring them comfort. Remember this. You may not have to say anything. That might be the best thing that you can do is just to sit in silence with your friend. So we're going to move on to chapter 3. And in this chapter, we, hear, we actually hear from Job. And in the following 30-some-odd chapters after this, we hear a lot from Job's friends and that dialogue. And they had all varying degrees of good and mostly bad counsel. But again, we see Job's integrity here. But we also see his suffering in his words. We, we, we get really, we get into the heart of Job here. In, in this chapter. And, and this is difficult. And this may hit home with a, with a lot of us. But we've, we've, all, we've all dealt with, with grief in our lives. So I'm going to read through verses 1 through 10. And it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born. And the night in which it was said, a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those cursed who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan, may the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none. And not see the dawning of the day, because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. That's just, that's heart-wrenching. That, that really is. 
This man is suffering. His words here, he, he never cursed God, but he did curse the day he was born. In his great torment, physically, emotionally, and probably spiritually, he still preserves his dignity even in the midst of the pain, but he's not, I don't think he's thinking clearly here. We get kind of a picture here into the, into the mind of Job and how this whole scenario has affected him. He forgets that God had blessed him all those years, as well as, of course, the, the large family and the admiration among his countrymen. But God wants us, us also to remember his blessings, to remember his blessings. I think about the story in Joshua when the children of Israel were crossing, were ready to cross into the promised land. And I love this story because it's, it speaks about remembering the blessings of God in your life. And if we could just take a little side trip here into Joshua chapter 4. And in verses 1 to 3 it says, And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Stones of remembrance for God's faithfulness in their lives. From the midst of the Jordan that he parted so that they could enter in to the promises of God. To always remember the blessings and the faithfulness of God. The Lord told Joshua to set up a memorial to him so that he would never forget The people would never forget. Their children would never forget the blessings of God. Now, listen, we can understand what Job's been through and how he could forget, maybe, in his time of pain, the blessings of God. And we hear the distress in his words. Not only does he curse the day he was born, he curses the day he was conceived. What pain we hear. He wants to forget the day that he was born. No big birthday celebration, no marking it on the calendar, nothing. That day he wants obliterated. And he mentions this strange thing in verse 8, which I'm just going to touch on, but um, later, in the, later in the book we get a, a, great, a better picture of this Leviathan. It says in verse 8, May those who cursed Curse it, curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. Leviathan, um, there's a little bit of debate over exactly what this is. It's, it's um, pretty much some type of a sea creature that's been mentioned several times in the Old Testament. Uh, we don't know exactly what it is. In chapter 41 of Job, we're going to get a lot more details about this, but it's also symbolically mentioned 
with regard to wicked kings or rulers or having a wicked thing come upon someone. And so he's basically saying here that you've, you know, you've basically released this beast upon me that has given me this great affliction. Like, I'm sure they spoke about this Leviathan in that time, this great sea monster of, of some type. And I'm sure there were stories that went back and forth about people who were, you know, who, were, who maybe made contact with this beast. But he refers to his troubles, his trials, in that same way. Like some wicked wickedness has come upon him. And again, you know, we can become so caught up in our circumstances that sometimes we don't think straight. As believers, we want to learn from, this, from the life of Job, right? We want to be able to get great lessons for, for our life from the difficulties that he's been through, right? We want to be able to look our, at our life in balance, remembering the blessings, but also understanding that God will take us through the difficult times. We all have our ups and downs. I think Job, at some point, loses sight of the ups in his life and only can see the downs. So we move on here in verses 11 through 19. And he's, again, we see, his, we see him expressing his despair here. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with the princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver? Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor, the great and the small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. So he has this idea that if he if he, if he had only died um, at birth or shortly thereafter, that he would be at peace. He would be just asleep, and his he would have no troubles. Now, certainly, he has a vague view of the afterlife. And we can see that in a lot of the Old Testament references to the afterlife, that they have only a vague understanding of it. But Job was right in one respect. Certainly, when we're no longer here, the troubles of this world are over, right? We don't have to be concerned about you know, physical infirmities or, or, or loss or grief or anything like that in this life because it's over. But just to kind of give you an idea of the way Job might have seen the afterlife in his, in his limited understanding of it, and it's, not, it's only limited because, not because God has kind of changed things along the way, but because... He's only revealed things in state, sort of in stages throughout human history. Theologians call this 
progressive revelation. So we see that in the Old Testament, as we look back in the Old Testament, we see kind of a vague understanding of the afterlife. Um, We see this word sheol, that's a Hebrew word that's used for like the abode of the dead, whether righteous or wicked. And it's used in the book of Job a few times. It's used in several other books in the Old Testament. And toward the end of the Old Testament, God starts to reveal something, something different, that there'll be a resurrection from the dead, that, the, that Sheol is not the final resting place for man, that God will swallow up death, that he will defeat death, and that the Messiah will do that on the cross. And so we get this greater picture of the afterlife. And we also see that the faithful to God, those who believe and trust in God, will be rewarded in the afterlife. And the, those who did not believe will have eternal torment. So we get to see this, this uh, further revelation. In the New Testament, we know Jesus is the one who gives us access to eternal life, that God sent Jesus to die on the cross, and that that fulfills his plan for all those who would believe. So Job, yes, he's right in one way. His earthly sufferings would end, but he didn't really have a complete understanding of the afterlife. And and again, God's going to reveal more to Job throughout this book. And we're going to get to see some of those conversations where, where God kind of um, gives a Bible study, a Bible lesson to Job in a, few, in a few places and reveals those things. And what a better, no, no better Bible teacher than God himself. So we're going to um, move forward at, uh, as we close up this, this chapter. And in verses 20 through 24, Job goes on and says, Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul who long for death but it does not come? and search for it more than hidden treasures. He's begging, he's pleading to be put out of his misery. And he's saying, God, you're just, you're just not doing it. You're, you're, not, you're not putting me out of my suffering here. And then he goes on and he says, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man, to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. Back in chapter 1, we see Job mention this word hedge. And sometimes in Christian circles, we'll mention a hedge of protection as we pray for somebody that God would put this hedge around them to protect them from from something, or to keep them safe. And that's how he used it in, that's how it was used in chapter 1. You know, Satan says to God, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all he has on every side? Haven't you protected him, Satan is saying? But look what Job does. He kind of turns that around here. He says the hedge is not no longer a form of protection, but a form of imprisonment. You see how his mind is becoming a little bit um, unclear as he's thinking. Instead of 
Instead of thinking that God is protecting him, he thinks he's, he's hedging him in. He's imprisoning him in this state of suffering instead of releasing him and freeing him by allowing him to die. So we can see, we know that when sometimes we're really suffering with a difficult thing, that sometimes we don't really think straight. We get to see a picture of it here as Job is trying to work through these difficulties in his life. One commentator put that, this, put that um, hedge mention this way. He says, As Satan invaded Job's life and brought great harm, God had built another hedge around Job's life. But this hedge is to keep Job from escaping his trials. So Job thought of it as imprisonment, God actually allowed the affliction for a purpose. See, God sometimes doesn't allow us to escape our trials. Instead, he he wants to show us something through them. And they're there for a greater purpose. So now we're just going to close up here as we read um, verses 25 and 26. And I was really trying to get some encouraging word at the end here, so... Bear with me as I, as I try to do that. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. So we see here that Job prayed regularly for his family, it says in, in chapter 1, right? That he was a godly man. He was a righteous man. Um, maybe he had insight, some insight that something was going to happen. Uh, certainly he had a relationship with God. Certainly God spoke to, spoke to Job as he speaks to us through our times of prayer or our times of study, um, seeking the Lord. And we know for us it would be wise to heed God's voice when we hear that voice, when we have an understanding that he wants to show us or tell us something. And, you know, it speaks about in First Kings, it speaks about you know, God not being in the wind, not being in the earthquake, not being in the fire, but being in where? In that still, small voice. In that still, small voice. That's where God usually meets us because he wants us to be attentive to him, right? In the midst of everything that's going on in our lives, he wants to be able to break through that. But he wants to do it in a way that we're inclining ourselves to him. That we're, and we're anticipating him speaking to us and we're waiting and we're desiring to hear from him. That's the intimate relationship that we have with our creator. That's the relationship Job had with God. We're going to see this interaction between Job and God and uh, throughout the rest of this book, and it's, it, it's unbelievable that we see this man having these conversations with God. But I, I, it reminds me that God wants an intimate relationship with each and every person who ever lived. You, you're included in that. See, unfortunately, Job kind of lost that connection at some point. He saw his life through the lens of suffering for, for this time that he was in. 
But I think God wants us to see our life through the lens of what he's trying to do in our life. And knowing that he speaks to us and that he desires for us to listen and to be blessed because of it. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.